Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 183 of the GDPR Weekly Show, and coming up in this week's episode, we have news that donor details for the Canadian Freedom Convoy in Ottawa have been leaked online. We then turn back to the UK and to Surrey, where a children's home has been closed due to potential data breach. We then turn to Northern Ireland, where child abuse victims have received compensation after a data breach. We then travel to Switzerland, with news of a data breach at airport services company Swissport. We then travel to Croatia, where police have arrested a child in connection with the A1 Havatska data breach, which we brought to you in last week's episode of GDPR Weekly Show. We then return to the UK... And we learn that UK standard contractual clauses have finally been laid before UK Parliament for approval. So we look at the implications of that. We then have an update on the Kronos ransomware attack and the fallout from that. And we then travel to Australia where New South Wales COVID database has had a data breach. We then go to Michigan in the USA where Morley have had a data breach. And then to Virginia where the Internet Society has had a data breach. We then return to Essex in the UK, where there's been a data breach at Greenswood Academy in Hockley. And we then return to Canada, where the Canadian Marketing Association is urging the Canadian government not to copy GDPR when it's looking at its review of Canadian privacy law. We then return to the UK, and the ICO has opened up a consultation on the interaction between GDPR and the research industry. And then to Brussels, where the European Data Protection Board is expected to release new rules on artificial intelligence sometime soon. And then finally this week, we return to London, where the UK Supreme Court has ruled against Bloomberg in a privacy case. So as you draw a wide range of articles for you this week, we hope you find the information in the articles useful and informative. If you have any feedback for us, we always appreciate receiving your feedback. So please email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, but unfortunately due to the volume of feedback, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. We are exhibiting a business revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. And we begin this week in Canada and specifically with the campaign in Ottawa by truck drivers in called the Freedom Convoy protest against COVID-19 vaccinations. Wherever you are in the world, you may probably be aware of this anti-vax protest, which has now been going on for several weeks. A leak site says it's received a cache of information, including about donors to the Ottawa Truckers Freedom Convoy protest after a fundraising site, Give, Send, Go, was targeted by hackers. On Monday this week, Dibsenjo's website said it was under maintenance, hours after the site was hijacked and redirected to a page believed to be controlled by the hackers, which no longer loads. The redirected page condemned the truckers who descend on Canada's capital to oppose mandatory top ID 19 vaccinations, causing widespread disruption to traffic and trade for more than a week. The page also contained a link to a file containing tens of thousands of records of what was described as raw donation data about those who donated to the Freedom Convoy. A short time later, non-profit leak site Distributed Denial of Secrets said it had received 30 megabytes of donor information from Gibbs and Go, including self-reported names, email addresses, zip codes and IP addresses. Distributed Denial of Secrets, a site known for hosting sets of leaked data involving far-right groups, said that the data would only be provided to researchers and journalists. Gibbs and Go founder Jacob Wells did not respond to a request for comment. 
The breach is separate from an earlier security lapse in which Dibsengo left exposed to the internet an Amazon-hosted S3 bucket storing over a thousand identity documents, according to journalist Mikhail Thaken, who first reported the data breach. The Boston, Massachusetts-based Dibsengo became the primary donation service for the Freedom Convoy last month after GoFundMe halted the crowdsourcing campaign and froze millions of dollars in donations, citing police reports of violence across Ottawa. Over the weekend, a Canadian court issued an order halting access to the funds collected by Dibsengo, which the company said it would defy. If we receive any update from Dibsengo, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Returning to the UK now and to Surrey, where a Surrey children's home has been closed before it took in any children after concerns over potential data breach and the financial viability of the home were raised by a watchdog. Ofsted carried out an inspection of the home on December the 16th after suspending its registration earlier in December when made aware of potential data protection breach. Inspectors flagged the risk of harm to any child placed in the home. According to the Ofsted report, the home was registered in November to provide care to two children who may need support with their emotions, though no children have been admitted to the home since it was registered. Both a responsible individual and the registered manager for the home had resigned on November the 23rd, and three care staff had also left their jobs at the home. The sole director of the company running the home, Hawaii Care UK Limited, told inspectors during the visit that there were rent arrears and tax bills not yet paid, as well as some salaries still to be paid. This raised questions for inspectors about the home's financial viability. The director had also told the watchdog that a potential data protection breach had taken place relating to an incident before the home was registered. According to its website, Hawaii Care UK Limited provides high supported accommodation for young people who have or are experiencing child criminal exploitation or child sexual exploitation. The inspector's report said Ofsted suspended the registration of the children's home on 10th December 2021. This was because there was a risk to any child placed in the home. The home has no manager in day-to-day charge and no responsible individual. The visit on December 16th was carried out to make sure the notice of suspending registration was being complied with. It's not clear from Hariah Care if the company runs any other residential facilities or how it intends to proceed with this home. If we do receive any feedback from them, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next web episode of the GDP Public Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you might remember that back in episodes 108 and 155, we brought you details of a data breach which had affected survivors of historical institutional abuse in Northern Ireland. Well, this week it's been revealed that survivors of the historical institutional abuse in Northern Ireland will receive a total of £25,000 in settlements after their personal details were leaked. Seven individuals settled the legal action against the very body set up to champion their cause. It follows previous resolutions for nearly 40 other victims exposed in the data breach who were already secured to combine payouts in excess of £100,000. In May 2020, a newsletter circulated an email by the HIA Interim Advocates Office mistakenly revealed the names of around 250 abuse survivors. At the time, the Interim Advocate Brendan McAllister issued an apology for the disclosure of their details. He said measures were immediately taken to recall the email with the incident also reported to the ICO. Pre-action correspondence had been issued by Belfast-based legal firm KRW Law on behalf of stores of those impacted by the breach. Claims were made for misuse of private information and violations of both data protection and human rights. But extensive discussions led to potential lawsuits being resolved without having to issue proceedings to the High Court. 
Because the interim arbiter office is funded by Stormont, the terms have been approved at ministerial level. In August last year, it was announced that 38 people impacted by the leak were to receive a combined six-figure sum. A solicitor representing seven further victims disclosed that they have also now agreed payouts, which are understood to reach £25,000 in total. Owen Beattie of KRW Law said we can confirm that a further five-figure settlement has been secured. This latest cohort of settlements is a welcome closure for our clients. A ransomware group has taken credit for the recent attack targeting aviation services company Swissport and the cybercriminals claimed to have stolen more than one terabyte of data. Swissport discovered the breach on February the 3rd and disclosed the incident on February the 4th. The company at the time said it could not share any information on the type of ransomware using the attack or whether any data had been stolen. However, operators of ransomware known as Black Cat, Alfie and Noborus took credit for the attack on Monday and published several files allegedly stolen from Swissport systems. Leak files included passport copies, a database containing job candidate information and an internal document. Switzerland-based Swissport provides airport ground services and air cargo handling with operations at 285 airports in 45 countries. The cybercriminals said on their tour-based leak website that they are prepared to sell all of the stolen information or parts of it. While conducting our investigation, we learned that an unauthorised party posted data online that they claimed to have stolen from Swissport, Swissport said in a statement. We take these allegations seriously and we are analysing the files that were posted online as part of our ongoing investigation into what happened. When we learned of the incident, we promptly took the affected systems offline, launched an investigation, notified law enforcement and engaged leading cybersecurity experts to help assess the scope of the incident. At this point in time, we cannot provide any further information. The company said it has been in contact with customers, partners and employees regarding the incident. If we receive any update on this from Swissport or from the Swiss authorities, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDP Publishing Show. We are exhibiting at Business Revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. You may remember that last week we brought you news of a data breach at Croatian Telecoms operator A1 Havatka. Well, this week, Croatian police were arrested a 14-year-old minor for stealing data from Croatian telephone operator A1 Havatka and demanding the ransom in cryptocurrency. If you missed last week's episode, on the 9th of February, telephone operator A1 reported a hack attack to the police, stating that private information excluding financial data of its users had been compromised. The company claimed that the names, personal identification numbers, addresses and phone numbers of at least 10% of its network users had been compromised in the attack. The company claimed its financial data was safe as that was stored in a separate database. This week, Croatian police said they'd arrested a miner from Western Croatia's Slavonsky Brod County, for stealing data of 100,000 users of telephone operator A1 and asking for 150 Ethereum coins, which is half a million US dollars, in ransom. As warned to the police, there's no confirmation that the hacker has misused any of the data as yet. Renato Jurch, the head of the police administration's cybersecurity service, stated that the teenagers didn't carry out the breach independently and that a foreign individual had acted as, a, as his accomplice. Regardless of the fact that he is a minor, at this moment, there is already enough evidence that indicates a reasonable suspicion that he was one of the perpetrators. Criminal charges will soon be filed with the State Ombudsman for Youth. It's understood that on Monday, the police searched the minor suspect's home, mobile phone and computers and found the equipment used to hack telephone operator A1. Further probes revealed that the hacker is a juvenile and it goes to primary school. The investigators waited at the suspect's home until he returned from school and questioned him in front of his parents before formally arresting him. Generally, people in Croatia get a three- to five-year sentence for cybercrime. 
However, it's believed that where the accused is a minor, the authorities will focus on preventing more crimes and not on punishing the offender. When we have any update on this from the Croatian authorities, we will bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Here in the UK, we've been waiting for over a year since Brexit for the ICO to produce their own version of the standard contractual clauses to be used for international data transfer. But the good news is there is now some progress. On February the 2nd, 2022, the United Kingdom Secretary of State for Digital Culture, Media and Sport laid before the UK Parliament new mechanisms for international data transfers. A draft international data transfer agreement, along with separate international data transfer addendum to the European Commission's 2021 Standard Contractual Clauses for International Data Transfers, to be known as the UK Addendum. These documents, often referred to as the UK Standard Contractual Clauses, were accompanied by a document outlining transitional provisioning concerning use of the pre-2021 Standard Contractual Clauses for transfers in and out of the UK. Businesses transferring personal data out of the UK to third countries outside the European economic area will have to reassess and analyse their international data flows and, if necessary, update their underlying transfer mechanisms. If Parliament has no objections, the new transfer mechanisms will come into force on March 21, 2022. Under UK GDPR and the UK Data Protection Act 2018, as under EU GDPR, companies are required to implement valid data transfer mechanisms when transferring personal data outside the UK to countries not providing adequate level of data protection. In the EU, companies transferring personal data to countries outside the European economic area often use the EU standard contractual clauses recently updated by the European Commission on June 4, 2021, known as the EU standard contractual clauses, as a valid transfer mechanism. And indeed, in the UK, many companies have been using those same standard contractual clauses, whilst we've been awaiting UK standard contractual clauses from the ICO. However, it's been known that because the UK left the EU, then these standard contractual clauses may have been open to legal challenge and face some legal ambiguity. The UK standard contractual clauses are drafted to address existing legal uncertainties for UK companies and provide a toolkit for restricted transfers. The International Data Transfer Agreement, the IDTA, is a standardised agreement addressing the handling and safeguarding of personal data by organisations importing or receiving personal data from the UK. Among other terms, the IDTA contains mandatory clauses on data protection to safeguard the data being transferred, including effective and enforceable data subject rights. The UK ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, has determined that these clauses constitute appropriate safeguards. Companies entering into IDTAs may not amend the mandatory clauses in any way. Companies may put the IDTA in place as a standalone solution accompanying the respective main contract to comply with UK GDPR data transfer restrictions. In addition to, and as an alternative to the standalone IDTA, the ICO has also published a UK addendum that businesses may enter into alongside the EU standard contractual clauses. The UK addendum amends EU standard contractual clauses already agreed to between companies with respect to data transfers to recipients outside the UK. Most EU companies operating internationally currently use the EU standard contractual clauses for their data transfers outside the EU and the UK. For companies subject to both UK and EU GDPR, the UK addendum allows them to secure their international data transfers outside the UK without implementing full separate transfer mechanism solutions. In particular, multinational companies are likely to favour the upcoming option of supplementing existing arrangements based on the EU standard contractual clauses with additional UK-compliant clauses rather than implementing the IDTA as a separate transfer mechanism. 
In light of the requirements imposed by the SREMS 2 decision, companies are required to continue carrying out transfer impact assessments for each third country. Transfer impact assessments assess local laws and practices to determine whether they override or contradict the mandatory clauses that the UK standard contractual clauses contain. This ensures that the relevant safeguards and protections remain adequate in light of the protection under the UK data protection law. The ICO has issued comprehensive guidance on transfer impact assessments that provides companies with helpful explanations on implementation. Companies are advised to carefully document their transfer impact assessments. For US-based companies, the introduction of new and potentially separate UK standard contractual clauses may add more complexity to contract and process management. Companies operating as data importers need to ensure that their internal procedures reflect EU standard contractual clauses, the IDTA and the UK addendum, including any potential differences, depending on which of the modules for data transfers apply. This may in some cases require a systematic reorganisation of processes related to initiating and managing contractual relationships that require restricted transfers. UK companies must complete the implementation of the UK standard contractual clauses no later than March 21st, 2024 to safeguard their personal data transfers to organisations elsewhere in third countries that do not provide an adequate level of protection. While that might seem like a long time away, we all know how quickly time can pass. Contracts entered into on or before September 21st, 2022 on the basis of the EU standard contractual clauses adopted by the European Commission in 2004 and 2010 continue to provide appropriate safeguards until March 21st, 2024 under UK GDPR. This only applies providing the processing operations and subject matter of the restrictive contract remain unchanged and providing no appropriate safeguards. So to summarise, for existing contracts, companies currently have three options available to safeguard their international data transfers. One, they maintain the old EU standard contractual clauses. Two, they implement a new international data transfer agreement. Or three, they implement the new UK addendum alongside the EU standard contractual clauses. They were until March 21st, 2024 to update existing contracts by using the new UK standard contractual clauses. For new contracts concluded between March 21st, 2022 and September 21st, 2022, companies may use either the old EU standard contractual clauses, the International Data Transfer Agreement, or the UK addendum alongside the EU standard contractual clauses. For new contracts concluded on or after September 21st, 2022, companies are restricted to using the new UK standard contractual clauses, i.e. the International Data Transfer Agreement, or the UK addendum together with the EU standard contractual clauses. The introduction of the UK standard contractual clauses creates more legal certainty for UK companies and for data importers in third countries. The ICO says that it aims to issue additional guidance on international data transfers in the UK shortly. This will include in particular a clause-by-clause guidance to the International Data Transfer Agreement and the UK addendum, guidance on how to use the International Data Transfer Agreement, guidance on carrying out transfer impact assessments, and further clarification on the ICO's International Transfers Guidance. We will doubtless be returning to this subject in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. In last week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we told you about the link between sportswear brand Puma and the Kronos ransomware attack. And in previous weeks, we've also brought you news of the day breach at the New York Metropolitan Transit Authority, which again was linked to the Kronos ransomware attack. But this week, it's emerged that the city of Cleveland was also involved in a data breach stemming from the Kronos attack. The mayor of Cleveland, Frank Jackson, announced that some of the city's employees had their information exposed, including their names, addresses and the last four digits of their social security numbers. 
Cleveland is not the only municipality to notice a data breach amongst its employees following the Kronos incident. On a larger scale, Hawaii and Connecticut each saw breaches at state level within some of their services. In Hawaii, both the Board of Water Supply and its emergency medical services fell victim to data breaches because of Kronos. While it specified that no customer data was impacted by the breach in Hawaii, employee information was compromised and workers at both agencies were told to keep an eye on their credit and bank accounts. Connecticut government employees were also impacted by the Kronos attack. According to a report by the Connecticut Examiner, it was initially unclear what employee data was affected in the attack because the state did not have its own backups for employee records outside of the Kronos private cloud. Warren Lundquist, an IT architect with the state government, said that the Connecticut Department of Administrative Services recently informed employees that only names, employee IDs and work phone numbers were at risk from the breach. Apparently, there's a separate UKG system that houses employee personnel records, which was not a risk from this ransomware incident. If we become aware of any other breaches linked to the Kronos incident, we will, of course, bring them to you right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. To Australia now, and more than 500,000 QR code checking addresses across Australia were leaked in a massive and dangerous data breach for which the New South Wales government is to blame. The system designed to help the public through the COVID-19 pandemic could now be putting Australians in danger as the leakers revealed the location of the domestic violence shelters, defence sites and even the missile maintenance unit. The list, which New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet said was uploaded in error, also included prisons, power stations and tunnel entry sites. Though the leak happened last year, Mr Perrottet was only told about it on Monday. In total, 566,318 location details collected by the New South Wales Customer Services Department through its QR code system were made public through a government website. Along with New South Wales locations addressed in Western Australia, Queensland, Victoria, South Australia and the ACT were also included in the database, which registered businesses or organisations wanting to comply with COVID safe directions. Registration was open to all businesses, including those in other states and territories, who had interest in New South Wales. If it has been, as it appears to be on, on the face, to have been a significant breach, then the relevant state government department must be prosecuted, lawyer and civil liberties advocate Terry O'Dorman said. Why did they make this information available in the first place? It just boggles the mind as to why there's even a necessity to publish this sort of information, he said. The leakings of the locations of dozens of crisis accommodation centres for women across New South Wales could be a matter of life and death, said the victim support advocate. If government is really sharing information like this, it can have serious consequences, Full Stop Australia Chief Executive Hayley Forster said. Steve Stevens, a technology security specialist, saw the public available data in the September and said he alerted cyber experts who then told the New South Wales government. If the wrong people had got hold of this, it could have been used for bad things, he said. Some of the scary things we were searching, firearms, armories, federal police and where storage locations were, perhaps someone should have thought about what should and shouldn't have been disclosed. A notice on New South Wales data website dated October 12, 2021 says the Comedy Safe Businesses and Organisations data set has been discontinued with identified issues with integrity of the data but there was no explanation as to what the integrity issue was. Though the New South Wales government said it referred the matter to the Privacy Commissioner in October, Mr Perrottet said he was not told about what he called an issue with the database until Monday. The Premier said the data had been uploaded in error. That has worked through the Privacy Commissioner. My understanding is they were satisfied that the matter was resolved and information had been taken down. It shouldn't have happened, Mr Perrottet said. The New South Wales government said the Privacy Commissioner told it the incident did not constitute a privacy breach. The state's Department of Customer Services said it classed less than 1% of the 566,318 locations as sensitive. 1% amounts to 5,663 addresses. 
Lee's been in suitable contact by telephone and letter. No issues of concern were raised by any of the recipients, the department spokesperson said. We are exhibiting at Business Revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. To Michigan now, and the personal information of 521,000 people may have been exposed in a data breach at business services company Morley Companies. Cyber criminals targeted Morley Companies in an attack detected on August 1st, 2021, when data of the company's tear suddenly became unavailable. On Friday, Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel confirmed that a data security incident that may have impacted data belonging to current employees, former employees and various clients had been reported by Morley. Morley said that leading independent cybersecurity experts hired by the company to investigate the attack had determined that additional data may have been obtained from its digital environment. In a data security incident notice, Morley stated the incident may have involved both personally identifiable information and protected health information. Data that may have been compromised included names, addresses, social security numbers, dates of birth, client identification numbers, medical diagnostic and treatment information and health insurance information. Watch out for fraudulent emails, phone calls and text messages seeking personal or banking information in connection to the Morley breach, Nestle said in a statement issued on February 11th. She added, If you receive other correspondence that ask you to do something like call a number to confirm your personal information, assume it's a scam. Morley said it began notifying potentially impacted individuals in instant at the start of February and it has made alterations to its cyber environment to help prevent similar incidents from occurring in the future. The company said its investigation into the cyber attack had found no evidence indicating the misuse of any information potentially involved in the data breach. Morley has provided access to complementary credit monitoring and identity theft protection services to individuals whose social security numbers may have been involved in the incident. The company said the privacy and protection of personal and protected health information is a top priority for Morley, which deeply regrets any inconvenience or concern this incident may cause. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Virginia now, and the Internet Society, a non-profit dedicated to keeping the Internet open and secure, has blamed the inadvertent exposure of its 80,000-plus members' personal data on a third-party vendor. The data, which is publicly accessible on an unprotected Microsoft Azure cloud repository, comprised millions of JSON files, including, amongst other things, full names, emails and mailing addresses, and login details. Based on the size and nature of the exposed repository, we can assume that all the members' login and adjacent information was open to the public internet for an undefined period of time, cybersecurity firm Clario said in a blog post. Helped by independent researcher Bob Diashenko, security researchers from Clario made the discovery and alerted the Internet Society on December 8, 2021. The repository was secured a week later on December 15. Diashenko said that the data was probably exposed for at least a month. In a statement, the Internet Society said we take data security seriously and launched an investigation as soon as we learned of the issue. In addition, third-party forensic experts were retained to assist. We discovered our association management system was configured incorrectly by a vendor. This did result in member data being publicly accessible, but we have now resolved this issue. The non-profit added, fortunately, we have not seen any instances of malicious access to member data as a result, and we are continuing to monitor. Clario said that if cybercriminals had access to data, it could have left victims more vulnerable to phishing attacks, identity theft and fraud. The breach suggests the Internet Society needs to do more to enhance their security infrastructure and adhere to the best practices they champion around making the Internet stronger and more secure, the researchers said. 
Founded in 1992, the Virginia-based Internet Society has chapters around the world and advocates for an internet that is resilient, open, and with 37% of the world's population having never used the internet, accessible to all. Savio advised potentially impacted members to change their online Internet Society passwords, be on guard for suspicious-looking emails or links. This is the second incident that Savio has disclosed this month in which a third-party vendor has been blamed for sensitive personal data being exposed within an unprotected Microsoft Reserve repository. As we previously reported, the previous data breach involved information belonging to students and held by the British Council, which provides English language courses worldwide. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Essex now, and a teacher at Greenswood Academy in Hockley mistakenly released a document on the Doodle Classroom containing sensitive information concerning Year 11 students. The document is accessible to both students at the school and their parents or guardians with a mock examination timetable, but in addition also provided personal details concerning specific students, such as their free school meal statuses, addresses, deprivation status, exam dispensations, and special educational needs. Many school students have seen the document and have been using it negatively to discuss other students and their needs. One anonymous student explained, kids are going around saying other people aren't benefits, some of my friends are on there, and they're not comfortable that other people now know their disabilities or if they're getting free school meals. The teacher was unaware the document contained the sensitive information. It was available to review for five days until it was finally noticed and removed by school officials. The school has since made students and parents aware of the data breach by sending a letter home explaining the leak and addressing how it was rectified. The educational support manager, Tom Gibbs Digby, said the information was only visible to Year 11 students and their parents, carers registered with the Greenswood Academy, and was not visible to any other outside parties, companies, or organisations. The incident was reported immediately and has been logged with our data controller as a data breach. An investigation has taken place and the staff involved have been given training and guidance in an effort to ensure that this does not happen again. We return to Canada now, where the Trudeau government is looking at reforming Canada's commercial privacy law. Industry associations, via a document called Privacy Law Pitfalls Lessons Learned from the European Union, is pressuring the government not to make the mistakes it says have found in GDPR. In the document, a compilation of findings from more than 30 third-party research reports and commentaries, the Canadian Marketing Association today urged the Canadian government not to follow the GDPR too closely, arguing that GDPR resulted in immense regulatory burden, heavy costs and threats to innovation and economic growth. As we've said numerous times on GDPR Weekly Show, GDPR is very much regarded as the gold standard for privacy protection being adopted by countries worldwide. So this criticism is perhaps a little unexpected. Some of the principles have already been adopted by the Canadian government in its proposed C11, the Digital Charter Implementation Act, which included the Consumer Privacy Protection Act, which died last year when an election was called in the autumn. It would replace the current Personal Information Protection and Electronic Documents Act. The new government promised that it would introduce new legislation to update the Personal Information Protection and Electronic Documents Act without giving details of a timetable. But the Canadian Marketing Association said that Canadian policymakers must ensure that any new law is not simply imported from another jurisdiction, but rather that it reflects and supports local conditions, practices and expectations, with the goal of achieving equivalent privacy protection as opposed to alignment with another jurisdiction's legislative approach. 
The Canadian Marketing Association says there have been growing acknowledgements since its inception in 2018 that GDPR shortcomings have led to some significant unintended consequences that are negatively impacting governments, consumers and organisations. Among those who have been most adversely affected, impacted by having certain GDPR provisions imported to Canada, would be small and medium-sized enterprises, the backbone of the Canadian economy, it says. While acknowledging that GDPR framework represents a significant step forward in drawing awareness to privacy and data protection around the globe, introducing new privacy rights to consumers and strengthening data protection requirements and penalties, the Canadian Marketing Association says that after more than three years, the GDPR has proven to be much better in theory than in practice. They allege that GDPR has created a staggeringly regulatory burden, hampered the ability of organisations to innovate and contribute to economic growth, disproportionately impacted small and medium-sized enterprises, created complexity for consumers, triggered other inefficiencies and unintended consequences, suppressed emerging technologies and obstructed cross-border business. Instead, it said Canadian privacy law should continue to be rooted in an administratively workable, principles-based legislative framework that promotes a technology and sector-neutral approach to privacy, helping to ensure flexibility in the face of rapidly evolving technologies, business models and consumer expectations. Any new private sector law should also include a balanced purpose statement that enables organisations to use personal information to conduct essential aspects of business in a manner that improves the lives of individuals while protecting their privacy rights, the association said. Listeners may perhaps not be surprised to learn that we don't agree with the Canadian Marketing Association's assessment of GDPR. Yes, GDPR is not perfect, we'd freely acknowledge that, but it is being accepted as a gold standard worldwide. It's not always popular with marketeers, of course, because it can put some restrictions on their activities. But if we were to advise the Canadian government, we would say, do try and model your law as close as you can on GDPR because GDPR is becoming accepted as the world standard. And if you're trying to modify your law, why do you still want to be an outlier? We are exhibiting a business revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. We turn to the UK now and the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, has launched a consultation setting out how the research industry interacts with GDPR. The consultation runs until the 22nd of April 2022 and sets out the research provisions in the GDPR for processing personal data and defines what does and what does not count as research under current data laws. The guidance and consultation also establishes how the research provisions in GDPR interact with the seven data protection principles and outlines what safeguards researchers must have in place under data protection laws. The draft guidance in the consultation focuses on archiving purposes in the public interest, scientific and historical research purposes and statistical purposes. The ICO said it hoped the draft guidance would underline researchers' importance to a society and ensure data protection requirements enable, rather than stifle, technological innovation and the advancement of knowledge. We will be returning to the consultation before its closing date on the 20th of April here on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Brussels now, and new regulations are expected to be coming out from the European Data Protection Board anytime soon regarding the interaction between artificial intelligence and GDPR. Whilst we can't be certain at the moment what the regulations are going to say, the key issues for those currently using artificial intelligence to consider are explaining your processing being clear with individuals about how and why their data is being processed 
where your business relies on artificial intelligence for profiling and automated decision making, you must explain that this is taking place, as well as the logic involved in any such decision making, including the significance and consequences for the individual. This can be very challenging when the underlying processing relies on highly complex and ever-changing artificial intelligence tools and various distinct data sets. Of course, it's also difficult because you probably don't want to reveal too mostly sensitive information about how your processes perform. Businesses need to achieve the right balance between being comprehensive whilst remaining understandable for the average individual. Interactive pop-ups and just-in-time notices can help to provide those with relevant information as and when they need to avoid information overload. Transparency is also an ongoing obligation and so businesses must ensure privacy notices are kept under review and updated whenever the processing changes. But what about actually training the artificial intelligence engine? After all, algorithms need to be fed data to learn and further develop from. While many businesses hold valuable user and customer data already, they must ensure before using that data to improve their artificial intelligence that they can do so in compliance with GDPR. For example, if a business wants to use its existing customer data to train its artificial intelligence engine, it needs to ensure there's a legal basis for the processing, like relying on its legitimate interests. The business must also ensure that it is informed those infected of this intended use. GDPR obligations also apply to any data received from third parties or public sources once it relates to an identifiable individual. While aggregation and de-identification are privacy-protective measures, businesses should ensure robust assessments are carried out before concluding aggregated or anonymized data actually falls outside the scope of GDPR. You need to think about future use of the information too. As algorithms develop and learn, they will inevitably create opportunities for new and additional uses of the data. Before businesses start deploying their technology in this way, they should ensure the data can be used in compliance with GDPR. Key issues to consider are whether individuals have been informed of the intended use, whether individuals would expect you to be doing that with their data, and whether there's any valid legal basis for processing. For example, whether any previously obtained consent is sufficiently broad enough to cover the new processing, or do you need to go back to those people and ask them for fresh consent? One important consideration is fairness and bias, because there are inherent risks of bias or discrimination arising from the use of any algorithm. To comply with GDPR, steps must be taken to ensure data is not used in a way that is unjustifiably detrimental, discriminatory, or in any way that is misleading or unexpected. This means ensuring any algorithms relied on are reviewed regularly for any bias against certain categories of individuals and mitigation measures are put in place, such as human oversight and intervention. Businesses looking to rely on artificial intelligence to automate important decisions must consider whether specific additional rules or restrictions provided for by GDPR for these types of activities apply. GDPR sets a relatively high bar for these restrictions, and so they only arise where decisions are solely based on automated processing, i.e. there is meaningful human involvement, or they have a legal effect. Decisions impacting on an individual's legal status, contractual rights, financial circumstances, or access to essential services will fall within the scope. On the other hand, decisions to target individuals to certain advertisements or to tailor a service to their interests, in most cases, won't. Where they apply, the most important of these restrictions is that decision-making can only take place with the individual's consent, where it's necessary to perform a contract with them or to comply with a legal obligation. 
In addition, businesses must implement suitable measures to safeguard the individual's rights, freedoms, legitimate interests and their right to obtain human intervention to express his or her point of view and to contest any decision reached by automated algorithms. When the EDPB finally releases the new rules on artificial intelligence, we will of course bring you a breakdown of them here on the GDPR Witcher Show. To London now, and the Supreme Court has ruled that a business executive who was investigated over suspected fraud had a right to keep his identity private, a ruling which media groups said to make it harder for journalists to expose crimes by the rich and powerful. The Supreme Court's ruling that Bloomberg News had breached the businessman's reasonable expectation of privacy as the latest UK court judgment decided with an individual's right to privacy over the public's right to know. The case stems from a 2016 Bloomberg story that identified an executive and his company under investigation by UK law enforcement for possible corruption, bribery and fraud offences in a foreign country. The news agency had obtained a confidential letter from UK law enforcement bodies to the foreign state requesting information. The executive, a US citizen identified in court only as ZXC, sued for misuse of private information and won at Britain's High Court and the Court of Appeal. Bloomberg appealed to the Supreme Court arguing that members of the public were aware of the presumption of innocence and would not assume that suspects were guilty. But five Supreme Court justices ruled unanimously on Wednesday this week that criminal suspects have a reasonable expectation of privacy before they are charged. Police in the UK do not identify suspects prior to charge, but their names often become public. The Supreme Court judges said such identification could cause irremediable and profound harm to the individuals involved. They said there was a growing recognition that as a matter of public policy, the identity of those arrested or suspected of a crime should not be revealed to the public, and that this applied regardless of the nature of the suspected offence or the public characteristics of the suspect. Bloomberg News said in a statement it was disappointed by the court's decision, which we believe prevents journalists from doing one of the most essential aspects of their job, putting the contact of their companies and individuals under appropriate scrutiny and protecting the public from possible misconduct. Bloomberg News editor-in-chief John Micklethwaite wrote in an opinion piece that the decision should frighten every decent journalist in Britain, as well as anybody who cares about justice, the conduct of capitalism or freedom of speech. The Supreme Court ruling follows several lower court judgments that have strengthened privacy protections in British law. They include senior Cliff Richards' successful invasion of privacy lawsuit against the BBC after it broadcast police raiding his house in 2014 while investigating an alleged sex assault. Cliff Richards was not charged with any crime, and said the coverage profoundly damaged his reputation. Matthew Dando, a partner at law firm Wigan LLP, said the latest ruling would have a chilling effect. He said the Supreme Court had enshrined into English law a presumption of privacy from those investigated or under arrest. Media lawyer Mark Stevens of the firm Howard Kennedy said the definitive ruling would encourage the rich and powerful to seek injunctions to stop the revelation that they are being investigated for crimes or wrongdoing. Chris Frost, chairman of the National Union of Journalists Ethics Council, said the ruling was the start of a slippery slope. The public has a right to know who has been arrested in their name and those arrested should gain protection from secret arrest, he said. A government spokesperson said they were looking at the ruling. A free press is one of the cornerstones of any democracy. The government recognises the vital role the media plays in holding people to account and shining a light on the issues which matter most. We will study the implementations of the judgment carefully, they said. Ministry of Justice sources point towards an ongoing consultation on replacing the existing Human Rights Act. The existing law, which was introduced by Tony Blair's Labour government in 2000, is based on the European Convention of Human Rights. Ministers want to replace it with a new British Bill of Rights as part of their post-Brexit policies. 
a move that's been criticised by many in the legal profession. A consultation document published at the end of last year states that ministers want to prioritise freedom of expression and that courts should only grant relief impinging on it when there are exceptional reasons. The document also stated it should not be left to judges to develop privacy laws through case-by-case rulings and there should be a presumption in favour of holding the right of freedom of expression subject to exceptional countervailing grounds clearly spelt out by Parliament. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Until next time, bye-bye.